Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Are we live? I think so, man. Oh, it looks like we're finally here. Welcome to the pod, guys. Damn, guys. We finally made it. Good to be here. Good to be here. Finally made it. Us and y'all to the Not Your Weekly Sports Pod, where you got three failed high school varsity athletes talking about anything and everything in the world of sports uh, that we'll usually talk about at the bars. We'll usually talk about at church or Jamatkana. I don't think I was supposed to say any of that on the pod, but we can just keep going, keep rolling with it. Uh, this is Vala, Vala the Bala on the pod. I'm one of the many exclusive voices you'll hear on here to spit knowledge your way. I'm going to pass the mic around here. Let you guys know the colorful personalities, to say the least, that you'll be sharing the voice with. Yo, man. So what it do, fellas? We got in the build a real deal sex appeal in the house. The main reason we are over here is to, you know, just to share a little bit of knowledge the stuff that you don't here on ESPN First Take and all these other baffling sports podcasts where people just want to talk out of their ass. So we're here actually going into deep topics on sports that honestly should be taken in every bar, should be taken in every other large sporting venue. And I think just to drop some real knowledge on everybody and some hot top topics that I think can benefit all of sports is by being talked to. So for me, you got my boy Chief over here. So yo, Chief, you want to talk to people, man? What is up, guys? It is Chef. You're here on our first podcast, man. Let's get it. Let's get it. So first, we're here to talk about high school students and athletes taking alternate routes to get to the professional league. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, This is going to be a beautiful topic. We're going to take this topic that I'm sure everybody in Houston, everybody in Florida, Chicago, New York, anywhere that you have these top-notch athletes at the high school level that seem like 40-year-old Spartans that run out into the battlefield and do their work. We're going to go all the way from here into Team USA basketball And I'm excited to take you on the journey with me. Now, as far as these high school athletes go, we're going to have plenty to talk about here, guys. But my first question to y'all is, does this entire argument on whether or not they should go pro versus the college route, does it come down to one thing? And that one thing being money. I think it comes down to multiple things. I think money being first and foremost, uh, the the main reason why everybody gets into sports, right? I mean, as long as, as much as people like to ball, I think the main reason, main incentive to going into NBA is getting paid millions of dollars. Now, I, I think that development has to be another aspect into this, correct? Because we've seen a lot of players, 18, Kwame Brown being, I think, the first and foremost uh, example of this, of players that just weren't ready to get out of it high school and then jumped into the nba and just get massacred by players that were just physically more dominant mentally more dominant and i think just had a better understanding of that game i think when you go to college i think it gives you that buffer zone to learn for one to three years about what a professional somewhat of a professional basketball game can be like what kind of professional or semi-professional competition can be there as well so i think that's the main reason that you're ending up going there Obviously, I think remuneration and some sort of compensation end up being one of the main facets of why you're trying to go this route at all, because you probably think that, hey, maybe if I go one to two years at Duke or UNC or one of these top notched uh, college programs, you believe that this might actually make you more marketable. You have these are two colleges that 
the world knows about. These are two colleges that so many people just look up to going to. You know, you think of all the great Duke athletes, you think of all the great UNC athletes, Jordan obviously being one for their Duke, obviously being in freaking Final Four every year. So, uh, you know, I, I think that just builds up the marketability of somebody as being a, a high school athlete, not being too well known, but now you're on ESPN, you're on ABC every every week on any of these highlighted games. So I, I think that people are thinking long term, especially when you're going into some of these programs and then jumping over into the NBA. But yeah, to go back to your question, I think money has a lot to do with it. But I think you're also thinking, am I going to be giving up money in the short term? For this long-term growth for what i can be when i whenever i market myself going into the nba draft as a well-known household name or as uh, an nba prospect that just has hype behind them i mean i feel like hype does take you a long long way if you really think about it you really don't have to be good to get that far it really just has to be about your name now if you think about it you can go to the college and be overshadowed by all these other people that are great you could have been amazing in high school well for one harrison twins that's a that's a great example now i've seen them go to college nba but i don't hear anything about them now in college nothing high school heard everything heard it from different counties these people's names were well well known but I feel like if they took their talents elsewhere, I really feel like they got overshadowed in college. They were not prepared to get to that level as other people are going to these other countries to play professional basketball and getting used to the actual game and experience of an actual game. College is definitely different. Now, if you think about it, college football and college basketball are very different compared to the professional leagues there's two different styles of play college football for being one is very very fast paced i personally don't see a lot of defense going on a lot of people are scoring here and there now if you think about the professional league there's so much more into that now you don't see these high scoring games because these people are developed into playing a different way now, I don't know if you guys agree with that. I mean, of course, money has everything to do with it. If I was a high school athlete and I was told, hey, I can go play overseas to get paid, I personally might go ahead and get paid for that. But you're right. College does open you up to other people's eyes. I feel like you have better opportunity going to college and being drafted than you might overseas. But I feel like the style of gameplay is more comparative to overseas than it is to college basketball to the NBA. Well, just to piggyback off that, right, I'm, we're talking about compensation from what Vala brought up, right, is, is compensation the biggest thing? And I'm looking at it from like an overall holistic standpoint of, okay, if I'm a college athlete, let's say I am a Harrison twin, right, or I'm one of these top five high school athletes going into the next uh, my next phase in life. If I have two options of, hey, I can go play in La Liga for Real Madrid basketball, or I can go play for Duke basketball. Now, I'll get compensated at La Liga, maybe 600, 700,000 euros a year. Or maybe I go to Duke, don't get paid anything. But I know that, guess what? Duke is Nike's biggest sponsor or one of the biggest sponsors for, for, for Nike at that point. So, hey, if after going to Duke, I have a Nike contract set up for me because of all this. And then after that, think about how many people every week are going to be watching a La Liga game versus Compared to a, a Duke game. A Duke I mean, game see, right? You're right about that, man. It's, it's all about the exposure you're definitely going to be getting. But are these people coming out of college actually prepared to step into the league and make their mark? 
And I think that's where you try to look at the program you go to, right? So I think of a case in point of, let's look at Brandon Jennings, right? Brandon Jennings, I think, set the precedence for athletes trying to, you know, not go the college route. But then, you know, Brandon Jennings was a huge deal in high school. Whenever he went to China to go play, nobody thought anything of him. I think Emmanuel Moutier was another player who tried doing something like that, but didn't go through with it. Um, Or maybe he did. I can't be too sure about that but I, that, from he what I'm did saying, unsuccessfully so there we go right so you had um you know like i said you had brandon jennings do that and when he came back into the league you know that hype that was there that marketability it just wasn't there and i think he had to wait multiple years before getting an adidas contract that paid him that let's let's transpose that into somebody like zion williamson right zion went one year at duke and what was the number one selling college basketball jersey a duke zion williamson jersey right i bet you if zion went to go play at real madrid or you know barcelona or one of these international leagues that hype that name recognition wouldn't be there for him by the time he got to the nba and on top of that that nike contract or that jordan contract that was there right that jordan contract was just so much more lucrative that he had because he went to duke and all the eyes that he had that were already there as opposed to you know if he went to an international team to go play over there right and i think that because of that that name recognition that he had made that jordan contract exponentially bigger than if he had gone to overseas so you're pretty much banking on the fact that if you're good enough of course i mean everybody would want to bank off of this if you're good enough you should go to college get your face recognized get built go to the nba makes sense yeah because it's marketing at the end of the day right it's all about marketing it's all marketing at the end of the day and i think you know we've had conversations about how basketball players are one of the few players where your face isn't covered Mm -hmm. your your body isn't covered the only thing covering you is literally a jersey so you are the most marketable person right there when it comes to your hair your image everything of that nature so why not market it at an early point in your life Sure. So I think it goes both ways. So I think it's a great point that the NCAA Division One scene is definitely the greatest way to get marketability and exposure as of right now, as of the way the system's set up. I mean, March Madness is still one of the greatest yep. models for a playoff style. That is your biggest platform, honestly. In any sport, regardless of college or pros, right? But I think to really understand this, you've got to look at the history of what NBA players have done going back all the way to the 60s. I mean, who was the first – do you guys remember the first professional high school player to go straight into the NBA? You shouldn't. It's a guy named Reggie Harding from 1962 who was a late fourth-round pick to the Detroit Pistons. The first really successful NBA player to go professional was the late, great Daryl Dawkins – back in the 70s, who was a first-round fifth pick going into the draft. And he certainly made his mark early on. And you had a little bit of a hiatus all the way into the 90s until Kevin Garnett was taken by the Minnesota Timberwolves. So you can definitely build a little name recognition and a little bit of marketability going straight into the pros, but you need to understand that there are cons to it as well. Nabil, you mentioned Emmanuel Moutier. You guys remember a guy by the name of Brandon Jennings? Of course. Great high school mixtapes coming out of high school. Amazing guard prospect. Had the lefty stroke and everything. Didn't do so well internationally. He played in some Italian team in Roma. Didn't have a great year internationally and came over to the NBA and is widely regarded as a bust for the impact he had relative to the hype he had coming in. So if we really want to understand what players can do coming straight out of high school, we need to really do a case study on the players that came which ones were successful 
and what they did in order to be successful or maybe what innate talents they had that allowed them to be successful. We all remember Sebastian Telfair. There was the whole ESPN piece on him being the next big face. And now, as far as I remember, the guy burned out with the Blazers as a lottery pick. And at the same time, you have several other high school players who came straight into the league and made an impact. I'm talking about the Kobe's of the world, the Jermaine O'Neal's of the world. Kevin Garnett, I just mentioned, carried an entire franchise with no other all-star player on his team with the exception of maybe two seasons and kept them relevant for the greater part of a decade. The list goes on and on. Uh, The last relevant high school NBA player if you're looking back at the list, really was LeBron James and Dwight Howard. After them, you've got guys like Sean Livingston, Sebastian Telfair, the Josh Smith, um, sip a little Hennessy for J.R. Smith, so on and so forth. Kind of journeyman guys who really relish their roles as role players, but no one that came in and fulfilled the potential of what it was to be an 18-year-old kid that could carry the face of an entire franchise. So would it be a good idea for them to have a professional alternative as opposed to college? Absolutely. But what's important about bringing this history up is understanding the relative context of what that success could be and what they need to do in order to maximize that that potential in a professional setting. So, again, I think what we're all hinting at from previous discussions here is players coming from a high school setting into a professional setting of a kind of G League, right, of having their own minor league system that rivals and more importantly, I think in a few years will overtake the MLB minor league system of a farm type system developing players and maximizing their potential. Because guys, in college, you just don't have the capabilities or the resources. You have class time that you have to devote to, class schedules, so much travel, and you don't have the wear and tear preparation that an NBA season brings to you. And I think that's something that the G League is going to maximize on pretty soon, and they're going to actually be able to cater to high high school school betters as opposed to an NCAA setting. That and the fact that they're going to be getting paid are, I think, the two biggest things that are going to uh, really ascend the NBA as having the most important and the most relevant minor league system, so to speak, for these young players. I think the main thing about this G League system that the NBA is trying to push is going to be, okay, can you push this to be as popular as the NBA, right? Can you push this to be as popular as college basketball there there's no way dude there, there's honestly no way that you can potentially do that unless somehow that you're allowing these people to just skip college and go to these development leagues where you're following these guys all the way through i don't think that it's going to be anywhere close to ncaa or anything like that so this is where i think that this can be a success is that if we look at so many markets that still don't have an nba team but that need some sort of team to latch on to now i think that there's pros and cons to that as well so let's say for example you're in austin texas and austin texas probably could use some sort of a professional team now that'd be pretty cool to have a g league team in austin texas where you have somebody like imagine you know like one of these top 100 players playing for that team that you get to see them play but let's say i'm the houston rockets or the dallas mavericks and i know that i get a huge amount of my fan base from austin texas do i want to compete with this other g league team with this up-and-coming star and build fan loyalty that way 
what do I want to do with that? So let's say, for example, the Austin, you know, Austin, you know, whatever, the Austin Hornets, whatever you want to call it. Shoot, Austin Wasps. Let's the, say the new, real team, by the way, the Austin Spurs. The Austin Spurs. Yes. Ooh. So let's say, for example, yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you're taking money away from San Antonio there that way. But let's just say you had some sort of fun, you know, Austin team. Right. And then it ended up being really hyped. You had them, you know, on ESPN. You had them on ABC. You had all these same, you know, deals. So you're worried about taking away audience away from these bigger teams because of that hype right well i mean it's a good thing right i mean i understand the reason that you're trying to do is you're trying to develop talent but in developing that talent are you taking away the market share of the nba right because in doing that could that be your best friend or could that be your worst enemy as well i personally think it's the people behind the hype man i was i was watching videos and all these things about Zion Williams when he was in high school. And this wasn't from Sports Center or any of these things. These were mixtape built by people. And I think people are building the hype. Austin is a hype city. Now, that's just one city, an example that you gave, but that was a crazy example. Austin, you can think about the football that they have. UT is hype. Now, if you have one of those top 100 people going to those development leagues in Austin, don't you think one of the surrounding teams nearby? would want to pick up that guy just to build up that audience no i get it and i i think the main thing about austin in general would just be that okay you have you have two you know two basketball entities that you can end up watching you could watch ut basketball or you can end up watching these uh, this austin g league team now keep in mind if somebody's watching this austin g league team and if at the same time there's houston rockets game at this point what I'm watching doing? the Rockets game. I to be that. honest, I'm watching the Rockets game. But then it's not a problem for the G League in itself is that you're taking eyes away from the G League product because now you're focusing on the NBA product. So I think the main thing that you're going to have to do with this is how do you walk that fine line of not taking any eyes away from the market share of the NBA, but then you're focusing on this new league, which can, again, uh, you know, compete with the NCAA, compete with the NBA, compete with a lot of just trying to take your eyes away from it, right? So I, I think that in creating this developmental league for the NBA, how can you get to the point of it not affecting the NBA's market share and affecting the eyes that you're putting the NBA? Because keep in mind, the thing about the farm system and, and the MLB and all this is that people are usually in the farm system for four, five, maybe even six years before they're actually Trust. mature enough to yeah. be in the MLB. You know, this system, we're th- thinking it's going to be like a one and done system right that you're literally in here for a year and the next year you're you're done picked up by a team right so you're 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 ready pretty much right you're here you're ready you're an nba talent you're talented enough that people want to see you and watch you so you're there you're not we're not watching an inferior product like watching a double a or single a team you know versus an mlb team right this is a viable product that we have hell you're going to be a star at duke or unc or one of these other big name college programs right so my fear would be if i'm the nba is that i am this is this is great this is great in developing my talent for the future but is this something that i can look back and it's going to shoot me in the foot because i'm not i'm not having any of this stuff i'm not having this player over here with me well i feel like you're you i mean yeah you don't have the player with you now but you need to think about you're developing this player to have in the future yeah it goes off the hype that you're not having them right now you don't have the audience to back this guy up that's great but you need to look at you're going to a college that is all based off of a basketball team. Now, you're playing other schools that aren't so great, man. They're, you're getting blown out. You're scoring hundreds of points on these people. And w- what are you really getting out of that? Like These teams aren't even in the same caliber as you. Now, going to these development leagues, you're playing against people that are working to go to the same place you are. That's why you're in there. So it's a different mindset and a different game that you're going to be playing. So I think putting... 
that pressure on athletes as to be able to get to the next level is there in that development league. I, I personally think more people would watch development leagues than college yes. basketball, yes. in my opinion, only because you know that these guys are going to be the face. They're going to be coming in eventually. Yes. Or these guys are going to be trained and developed to be taken over, to be taken in. I mean, that's, I'd personally watch it. I was watching, who's, who's that guy, man, on the Lakers right now, Caruso. He was, he was his, um, what is it, his practice, man, I'm losing my thoughts right now. Uh, his development league videos, man, that was unbelievable. I enjoyed watching that. To see what this guy did in, with them compared to what he's doing now, I would literally pay Dish Network to add that on there just to watch it over NCAA think, basketball. That's my opinion. Think about one of the more exciting moments of the NBA offseason after the free agency frenzy. It's the NBA Summer League. You've got these top name free agents going against professional grown men for the first time in their careers. Now, maybe one medium to that is replacing the Summer League with this NBA G League initiate of the first portion of the summer and early fall of having these guys go up against each other. That way, when they're done with this little playoff bracket and the mini regular season they have, very similar to what we're about to get, fingers crossed, if Corona doesn't take over to the NBA, um, (laughs) and using that as kind of the springboard into getting their career started, maybe those teams can bring those players back later in the playoff stretch or later in the season should they deem them fit and ready to contribute to an NBA team. They're using those first five or six months of their professional careers with professionals, with real trainers, getting dietary advice from NBA staff and nutritionists and working out with grown men to get their body ready for what they're going to be doing the rest of their careers as opposed to being in an NCAA system where the staff and the resources are limited relative to what you'll see in a professional system. And I would agree with you on that. Like, I I definitely understand the rationale for going into a development system. Obviously, you're going to be given more one-on-one time. You're going to be given a lot more focus. And your main objective is legit to get into the NBA. And you're getting paid. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, again, the main thing right now, I think we're looking, comparing, contrasting, and maybe the, there's no doubt the NBA G League will probably get better as uh, overall unit and how you're going to classify things, how you're going to market things and how you end up just having hype behind it. I think right now, just what the, what you have with the NCAA, if you're a top talent, the amount of eyes that will just be there for you because the name notoriety that you have with colleges, the amount of loyalty people have for those colleges People want to watch a Duke game. People want to watch a UT game because that's where they graduated from. They're, that's their alma mater. People have ties to that college beyond basketball. And I think that there's no loyalty to anything with that G League right now, right? Like, who who are the Austin Wasps? Sure. Or who are these you know, this yeah. new Seattle team, right? There's so, nothing about me for them. You go go out and get a $100 jersey. The culture is not in place exactly. yet. Exactly. So, but if we look at, hell, even if we look at Houston Baptist University, right? Like, shoot, like, you don't care about the player, but you'll go watch it because it's your alma mater. Water, right those tiny programs like colgate fordham you don't care about the player but you care about that program same thing the duke jerseys how many people will you go right now on the street and go see it just a nike t-shirt of a duke uh, of something with duke on there right there's a lot of that solidified branding that you already have and there's just none of that branding involved with that with that team and i mean if you look at a lot of these nba teams too how long did it take these nba teams to get to a point where people really want to talk about them people really want to wear them people are proud of them 
right? I mean, hell, we have we have minor league teams here. How many people do you see wearing a Sherland Skeeters t-shirt? I, I see absolutely not at none. all, man. I if, haven't even if, been to a Skeeters game. If it's a Tracy McGrady jersey, I'll uh, wear it. Exactly, that, and, and that's and I think that's the main thing. So I, I think these this G League has a long time going to just try to make a brand out of it. Because right now, I think the main thing that you're trying to do is just focus on the player. And I think what I'm looking at is how long before this player is there right like you can only you're only going to hop on this player for a year until he's gone into the nba and then what then next to next year i guess the beauty of it is when we look at nba teams right when we look at the nba in general we're like dang you know what we got this star player and he's going to be our star player for the next five ten years hopefully for a while right Giannis, steph hard you look at all these players well i mean if you think about it in college these guys have the same option i mean one year in college i can go ahead and go to the draft i mean it's technically the same exact thing now you're completely right about people watching the team that they want to watch doesn't matter who's on that team they want to watch the team that they want to watch personally i want to see people do great things i don't want my team to be trash okay that's the simply that's it i don't want my team to be trash i want somebody that can actually put up numbers and actually do things now if i'm at a small school those people aren't coming to my school and that that's just a fact they're gonna go to duke they're gonna go to these big name schools because that's how you're marketed these people in the nba they're gonna be going to duke they're gonna be going to these other uh, schools to look for players and that that you cannot do anything about that these people have better programs and better structure you cannot do anything. Now, you need to think about it as an athlete. What makes sense for you to do? I think being more developed in the D-League yes. and going from there to an actual league makes more sense. I don't think college actually sets you up for what's for the future. You might be a baller in college, but you got to take in fact that you're playing against people that aren't even close to being as good as you. Now that you're stepping into this league... You have people like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, all these people that are quote-unquote best players in the world, and you're going head-to-head against them. Where last year, you went against this nobody, and you killed them, which is no problem for you at all. Now, you need to think about how can you further yourself. I personally love a challenge. Now, if I'm going to go ahead and get better in the D-League playing two, three years, and then for sure going to the NBA, but being prepared to play against these people in this sort of structure and this sort of timetable, I think we can do this. I would go ahead and go to this D-League. I would make my move. Because college, I don't think unless you're going to those top schools, you're going to be marketed to make it. Again, I think the main thing about that would be, and you know, Val, let me know if you, if you disagree with this, but I, I think the main thing with this is for that one to two years that you're going to be in college, Every eye on you is going to be there. Granted, there's probably additional development that you're taking on upon yourself to develop as a basketball player in addition to what you're doing at college, correct? I'm sure all these players have AAU training, have just a huge team of developers that are there to make them a better player, correct? But the amount of eyes that you will have on you as you look forward to creating that brand that you want into the NBA and then maybe even after the NBA, it all starts with those eyes on you. If I'm going to this D-League program for one to two years, am I irrelevant after a year? I mean, again, we're in an era now where there's something new every five minutes that's going to take my eye away from you. If you're not in my front you know, peripheral, uh, you know, peripheral vision right there and I can see you what's there to say that something more exciting comes along the way and you're completely irrelevant well you got to think about it like this like for one nobody knew who luca was not a single person until he got in there 
Not a single person. So you could pretty much argue the same thing where you can be in this development league, go in there, and then get into the NBA and boom, make your Lucas mark. How many are there in the NBA? That's what I'm saying. How do you know that that's the situation but where you, you can make it in there and you can ball out? So I'm market Fultz in the 76ers? My man has been taking the longest decline in his career. He was a first-round pick, was he not? Yeah, he's the number he's one pick. Number, number one, one pick. pick yeah. My, what what's going on? Like he, I don't so, think he was prepared for this level of so competitiveness. Right. right there, there's definitely. I think if you really want to get to the bottom of this, you've got to split this into two different things. Number one, Fultz has somewhat redeemed himself in the Orlando Magic system. He's doing his thing. He's getting minutes. He's a starter caliber player for them. But there was a big gap there in Philly, and you know, Chef, I agree with you. I think one thing you could attribute that to is improper preparation for the pros that could have come from him his tenure at a small school division one college mm-hmm. now the thing we have to separate here is culture that's the, the first thing Nabil, on your front that i think we need to separate carmelo anthony what are people most nba fans going to remember him as they're going to remember him as a blowout in the nba a guy who is a scorer who could never be the number one guy on a winning team what they won't remember him as was a first-year guy in the NCAA Syracuse, carrying baby. a Syracuse team to the national champion, being a championship player in that system, hey, right? Man, I think that was the only time that we could say Carmelo Anthony was a champion, bing, bing. Well, and the time that he almost came to <laughs> Come Houston. Come on. He All almost right. came to Houston the first time. He would have been a champion, but he lost that opportunity. So I think the first thing is culture. Can that culture change? Absolutely. Let's connect this to modern day sports right now, guys. The NBA, you've got guys like Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard saying they're not going to come back if the NBA comes back. Is that changing people's interest in the NBA? I don't think they make that much of an impact to the NP- they, NBA. They don't to- because they're not top guys. Exactly. And if you have top recruits, top prospects in the college scene opting to go into the G League, that will change the culture of it. That will change the impact that it has on viewership. See, you got to think about Zion Williams. If he chose to go to the D League and go from there, I think all eyes would be on him. That would be huge. And this is where I would disagree with the fact that if you look at the NCAA, if you look at just the Final Four in this tournament in general, how many of these players and these teams end up getting to the Final Four that you've never heard of, right? How many players that am I looking at that I'm like, okay, who the hell are you? What was the team with the old lady? I think it was like, Two yeah, years it ago, Mar- it was Loyola. Mar- I think Loyola. It was Loyola there you Marymount. go. Boom. Yeah. That's one. But, uh, but that's what I'm saying. You didn't knew any of it. Those players, none of those players are. None in of those NBA. players got. I don't even think they got drafted. But that's what I'm saying. The, the recognition that they were able to get, the the culture that was able to have, and I, I think it was still bigger than all these other players that you were able to keep with. But what did they get? Did any of them get drafted? No, none of them did. But at the same I mean, time, it, it was a great. I was I was going yeah. for it. I thought it was fantastic. They got that far. I was rooting for them so, the whole way. So Nabil, make the argument for me, okay? Let's go ahead and assume you're an NCAA recruiter. I'm a high school baller, mm-hmm. and I'm ready to make my move to the next level, wherever that might be. Make the argument to me. I'm sitting here right now, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going into a system where. God forbid I have an injury. I pop my Achilles. I tear my ACL. It's got to be an Achilles. I'm still. (laughs) Shout shout out to Kobe. Future segment coming. (laughs) You better hit your free throws if you do pop your Achilles. But if I'm an NBA, if I'm a high school player going into the NBA, I have a system in the D League that's going to pay me. That's not happening in the NCAA. Nope. 
I have a system where I have professional trainers and athletes looking at my biomechanics and my tendencies and maximizing my abilities as an athlete to endure a 15, 20 year professional career, which we're seeing more and more often now. Mm-hmm. Players aren't retiring at 30. They're going into their 40s. That's LeBron might cool. play with this kid for Christ's sake. And then at the same time, I'm going into a culture now where more and more of these upper echelon players are going, where I know I'm playing against the best and the brightest in my class. Make the argument against me. Why would I go into the college realm? You don't have have these sort of people that you're going to be playing against in college. You are blowing these people out for sure. The only reason I'd be going to college. Now, if I'm a top recruit, the only reason I'm going, I'm going for one year because of the fact that I know in that one year, whatever you may pay me. 400,000, 500,000, maybe up to a million dollars that you may pay me in the D League. I know that that contract that I can have with UNC, those forever, the name recognition I can have with UNC forever is going to give me a fan base in that one culture that's going to be probably more than whatever the Austin Toros or whatever the Austin Wasps can give me with that recognition. I know for a fact that at UNC or at Duke, I can have my name in the rafters and that can go or I can mean a lot more than having my name in the rafters for the Austin Toros. But see, how far does your name take you in college, though, man? Like, it's a different story when you get into the NBA. Look at the sponsorships that these colleges have. So, at the end of the day, we're just looking at as far as how much money we're going to be making. Absolutely. Okay, okay. So, look at the fact that we have... (laughs) look, look Look at Kyrie's Duke shoes, right, that Nike ends up having. Nike still comes out and makes Duke memorabilia for Kyrie Irving. And he has that Duke recognition and to make money off of now that he's no longer a college athlete for the rest of his career, right? So your argument is pretty much you'll be able to make more money absolutely off of royalties sense, and licenses you're, you're, right you're right that, because recognition is there because of the top schools i'm not, going for, absolutely that, I'm not right. going for that immediate four hundred thousand dollars when i know that nike has a deal with duke and i can keep and i can milk for the next but 20 to 30 why would years. you get that deal instead of somebody else what do you mean because i duke already has a name recognition it's the same reason why jordan still but has a new duke name is recognition. not just going to pick up one all-star player like yeah. there's gonna be three of you on For that sure. team so like, keep in mind let's go back then let's think of kentucky let's think of john wall and demarcus i think it was i believe it was john wall and boogie because it's on the yep. same squad right and, st- and eric bledsoe and eric <laughs> and eric bledsoe shout out eric bledsoe i love you uh mini lebron so let's say for example you had all <laughs> these players on there right but they were still able to make a big deal out of it and they're still able to do that now i think that's as you as the college athlete need to realize that hey kentucky for example right and with the harrison twins you had about dakari johnson you had so many different players on that team that each special one each special player in high school they were outgunned by the other one so i think that's when you know it's like okay i have a class of seven eight people there's not a lack of great prestigious college programs lacking right like shit if there's seven people going into kentucky i'm taking my ass and going to kansas right kansas is still a huge name in college basketball i'm doing that and that name recognition i can keep for the next 15 to 20 years because i went to that college is still going to be there prime point let's look at michael jordan north carolina how many north I mean, carolina you, can, you cannot use michael jordan as an example that's but I'm, <laughs> you can use any other example I, I use Kyrie can, Irving. all right that, Kyrie Irving, carmelo anthony right carmelo like carmelo still has syracuse stuff coming out for the jordan brand all the time same thing. Like if you look at Kyrie Irving, he has Duke stuff coming out all the time. Vince Carter still has stuff coming out of the UNC that he, that he gets name recognition for and royalties every year for. So I'm saying that 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 culture that we were talking about from college basketball, that name recognition that's there and that can pretty much retain you royalties for for their future. I, I think that can be a solid 
boost going forward especially and again this is if you're a player that you know that you don't need development you're there you're gonna make a lot of money and i think that's a, a, a that's i think all players that. coming out of college need development i think that is a for sure and thing. you're not lacking development in college like, like i said before i think you'll have trainers on the sides that you're gonna be working with in summers and everything of that nature too now does the ncaa need to have reform and have change absolutely and will this d-league probably change and, and challenge the ncaa and changing policies that have been very strict and rigid for the past 30 40 years absolutely absolutely and i think that's the beauty of just of competition and capitalism when we come to this point of having multiple off, options right of challenging each other but i think that loyalty and that loyal that loyal fan base that you have to each college and what that can actually mean in dollars and cents in the next 10 to 15 years going especially if you're a huge name is is second to none derrick rose for example right he will always be remembered as that memphis guy and if you go to memphis right now there are still just just posters just a huge memorabilia like just focused on derrick rose even those unfortunate career fizzled out in the nba i want to say it fizzled out i mean injuries do play a huge role right but, but i still think he is one of the greatest man he, he is balling right he now could have been this year if he decided to move on from the team he was with a top five contributor to a championship team absolutely if moved to the right team i'm not denying that at all i'm just saying the fact that he still has Sorry, no matter what happened you're good. I mean, I'm just saying that no matter what happened with anything, right, he still has that name recognition with Memphis no matter what happened. Even if his career went to complete ass, which I'm not saying it did, but I'm just saying it wasn't his MVP here. It did take a decline, no, but, but I, I don't see him as one of the people that have just completely just sh- taken a mad dump on his name. No, I get that. He is putting in work. I get that. I, I love that about him. If we want to move into the football side of things, Nabil, I think a player that would work great for your argument is Vince Young, who currently has a job with the Longhorns because he, I mean, to put it plainly, flamed out in the NFL. Yeah, right? That's true. So the question that these players have to ask themselves, and again, it's it's really a matter of culture, again, and money is do you want to take the incentives of having that culture and retaining a lifelong relationship with a university or to put yourself in a position where you're maximizing your professional prospects as a pro NBA player going forward? Because you, you'll have your name recognition and everything in college, great, but I don't think you'll do anything if you can't get your name recognized in the NBA. You'll have way more opportunities for scholarships, for all these other things if you've developed your game properly yeah you don't need a you're not going to need a scholarship if you're not going to college and to follow to your point i don't think both those things are mutually exclusive i think again you can get your development outside of what you're trying to look for i mean if i'm looking at the amount of college athletes that have come out of these big name colleges and have gotten into the nba still a huge amount oh yeah we don't we don't know what you know this development program is going to be i think you know if you look at the norm and it's worked relatively well uh, you know, it's sucked no compensation. Again, there, there's a lot of improvements that can be made, but if we're talking about a system that's worked well for the NBA, if somebody going to college for a couple of years and then going into the NBA, it has worked. Do you think there, let me just present this to you, give you a real life example. Do you think there's a chance that Greg Oden's professional NBA career could have been extended if a professional trainer realized that there's discrepancy between the size of his legs and potentially worked with him? to prevent the knee breakdowns that he had later in his career? See, that's the thing. I, I, Ohio State still was a phenomenal school, and they have a phenomenal medical program that they were able to focus in on. Now, do I think that maybe Greg Oden could have done different things to maybe pretty much elongate his career? Maybe. And I think another thing that they could, that athletes should do is take more insurance policies out in college, and I think they should allow that. Now, if you're able to do that, that can pretty much circumvent any injuries that you can have coming into the NBA and going in for a couple of years. 
but keep in mind, Greg Oden also has a solid, solid following at Ohio State. If you go there, Greg Oden is still a household name, and his jerseys are still one of the best-selling jerseys in Ohio State history. So, again, he was able to na- have some name neck recognition still stay in Ohio. This is true. Do you think Greg Oden, the player, would trade all that name recognition for two more seasons of relevancy in the NBA? I think so. But at the same time, how many Greg Odens are there in the world compared to other players that were able to have a success, right? I think I think that's that true. I, okay. I think we're, 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 we're balancing it all in a sense. I, and I completely agree with y'all's point that I think the D-League is a solid idea. And I think competition is the main thing that is going to move everything forward and i think that having this d league is eventually going to push the ncaa into paying players somewhat or having some sort of compensation at least sort of like a a sponsorship opportunity would be perfect man i know you guys are giving them full ride to school and I, i i think that's fantastic i think people should be great for that but not allowing them to have some sponsorships or at least some sort of a pay for what they're bringing in the school itself, it just seems ridiculous. No, Especially when they're one injury away from exactly. potentially sacrificing and leaving millions, tens of millions in most cases, of dollars on the line. If you were to land wrong, break an ankle, tear an Achilles, tear an ACL, God forbid something happens, you're losing money that oftentimes these players that come from disadvantaged backgrounds, and a lot of them don't, but a lot of them who do, Really, their family is depending on them for that financial banking, and they're losing that one injury away. So I think the least they can do is offer some kind of uh, some kind of marketing for themselves, whether it be the signatures that they can sell, apparel, or wherever you want to go with that argument. That's an entirely different topic, but I think that's the minimum the minimal that they can do for them. No, I agree, and I think that you know whenever these players are you know creating their background from getting from high school to college or whatever median they take to getting to the NBA, I think each to each one they're going to have to realize, hey, what do I want in the long term, or what do I want in the short term, and is the short term incentive more important for me than the long term? Well, I think the NCAA really has to look at the fact that. You know, money is what's going to make this world go round. That's that's pretty much it right there. Now, if you tell this high school person or an athlete, hey, I'm going to pay you this out amount to come play in this D-League or you can go to college. I mean, for someone that's not going to be sitting down and actually thinking about what's my next future going to be, more than likely, nine times out of ten, these people are going to take the money. Now, NCAA needs to take a look at that and say, how can we incentivize them coming to us? Competitiveness, I think... Development League has them beat, for sure. But you're right, name recognition and all these other things, all the legacies and everything that these people have to fall back on, that's the only thing that's keeping them afloat right now. Now, if they can offer the sponsorships or anything like that, any dollar value to these athletes, I think they have the tipping point. That's it. I agree, and I think the main thing that we see from that is you know, that transition from amateurism to professionalism, which I think is a solid segue to getting into the next next topic that we were going to eventually talk about which was what would we do for creating the perfect team usa in the 80s and 90s when unfortunately you had only amateur players but what if you could change that to having professional players what would we have the perfect team usa as based off 80s and 90s no, look, look at the 1988 olympic team let me throw some names at y'all that um, you'd be hard-pressed to remember, especially as 90s babies. But even for my 80s fans out there, you've got Willie Anderson, <laughs> Stacy Ogman. We have Bimbo Coles, Jeff Grayer, Hershey Hawkins. It's a name that I remember. Dan Marley, 
former Phoenix, Phoenix Sun that legend, got man. torched by the Houston Rockets <laughs> in the 90s. Shout out to the, the greatest team that never played Michael Jordan. Uh, we have Danny Manning, J.R. Reed, Mitch Richmond. Who's that? Baby, baby MJ Mitch Richmond. Oh, man. Uh, David Robinson, probably the most notable player on this Admiral. list. Charles Smith. And Charles D. Smith, the 1988 Team USA team that did not reach the gold game, uh, that was a bronze titleist, that really laid the frown- the great the groundwork for professional players getting back in the Olympic scene in 1992. So, if we're going to make a team from the 80s and 90s, we've got to build it from the ground up. And if you're an 80s or 90s basketball enthusiast, you got to start in the middle with the center position. Who do you guys got here? Man, if I'm having at the center position, so we got to keep in mind us being American player. So, you know, if we weren't going to be doing that, Akeem Olajuwon obviously would have had my pick. But if I'm choosing an American player that I would have to have as a center, uh, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has to be probably one of the main, main players that I, I look at. The skyhook is probably the most unstoppable unstoppable shot in the league in, in the history of basketball. Probably, I still right? can't hit that shot yet, man. I don't think anybody can. And that's, why made, that's what made him so famous. Yeah. And I think if you're looking at it from like an international standpoint, something that could space the floor, a shot that can just just be unstoppable to guard. If people in the NBA couldn't guard the freaking sky help, how do I expect a guy who's like six foot eight in the Euro League try to stop that? So for me, yeah, without a doubt, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's hard to start anywhere else other than Kareem, the third greatest center in the history of basketball behind Hot take. behind ha- Hakeem and Shaq. Um, unfortunately, just played in an era where he didn't play against the greatest centers of his time. Uh, but still, with that said, leading scorer all time in NBA history, the Skyhook was the second fiddle to Magic during the important portion of the Lakers run with the run and gun Showtime Lakers. Yeah, Kareem's at the center spot for me. He's my starter, no doubt. There's nowhere else you can go with that pick. You could maybe argue Moses Malone, but even then, Malone is more of a durability case than the peak of Kareem that we saw in the 80s. No, I think you guys got it right, man. Kareem is the way to go for our center game for the 80s. Who you guys as the power forward? Oh, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, we have a lot of options you here. Got a few, you got a few picks. You got to look at the winning teams here to pick your power forward, I think. You've got Charles Barkley with the Philadelphia 76ers. You've got a young Charles Barkley who just went on a little bit of a diet, stopped drinking beer in the offseason, and became slim, the slim Sir Charles that still led the league in rebounding and was on a 25-15 and 15 beast for the Sixers. You've got Kevin McHale. you got to throw a white guy in there for the oh, 80s God. just to represent <laughs> the USA during tumultuous times. Uh, can we just throw in that Kevin McHale is probably the worst coach in uh, Houston Rockets history? Without uh, a doubt. Without a doubt. Without no a problem. Doubt. Okay, yeah. great. Just go yeah. that we got that uh, Hopefully he hears this. You had some uh, mid-2010s Rockets runs that could have been extended were he not the coach. And then my last one for the power forward position, aside from those two, uh, you could mix this up between two different players. You could try to throw Bird in as a stretch four. Or my last power forward during this era. Man, this is tough. It's a tough list of players to go through here. Um, man, it's tough to even go against Charles Barkley here. I, I, I'm kind of stuck on this I'm, point. I'm stuck with Charles on this one, man. He, he seems like the powerhouse here. So I would digress and not choose Charles Barkley for my power forward. Oh yeah. Okay. Who you I, got? I have somebody that if I'm having, if I'm having the finesse of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the five, right? Somebody who's not going to overpower me, but just finesse me with just amazing tactical 
foot movement and just just beautiful skill when it comes to playing with the basketball. I want somebody who's just a brute. Yes, Charles Barkley is a brute at six foot six playing power forward, but I want a guy who's just going to bully the crap out of me at the power forward. I'm looking at Carl Malone. I'm mm. looking at probably one of the guys, mm. probably one of the best the players mailman. to not win a championship. You know, R.I.P. Uh, Utah Jazz '90s dynasty. Byron Russell, he still got pushed. Um, but I mean, <laughs> if we look at if we look at Carl Malone, just a guy who can give you 25 and 10, former league MVP. Well, defensive player of the year this guy is somebody that you do not want to mess in the paint and i mean Kareem, we've all seen the last dance man we, we've seen what monster. he can do yeah so he, if you he have somebody monster. that you, alongside kareem abdul jabbar that hey kareem i don't feel like ain't dirty yo carl just do your thing and just like destroy these fools that and and i mean if we're talking about just build quality you know we're talking about somebody like you know sir charles being slim for a little bit carl malone is freaking shaped like a middle linebacker in the ml and in the nfl man like that that is a one intimidating fella P90X on a fishing boat out in the middle of the Great Lakes of Utah. You can't expect anything else from that trimmed monster that was Carl Malone. Uh, we'll overlook his deficiencies as a human being and go ahead and give him that spot. I, I think I think we can do that for the greater part of the 80s and 90s for Sir, Sir Carl um, as opposed to Sir Charles, especially since Carl Malone had greater playoff success than Charles Barkley, despite Charles Barkley, I think, having significant amounts of talent around him. Who did Carl Malone really have as a third fiddle? He had John Stockton and then who? John Havlicek coming off the bench. Jeff Hornacek. Jeff Hornacek. Hornacek. I mean, yeah, Byron Byron Russell. Byron Russell. Greg Ostertag. Still got pushed. (laughs) I still got pushed. I mean, yeah, so that's the main reason. I mean, and I think as we go forward into the list, I think we can see why, but Carl Malone is probably one of the greatest, if not if not the greatest, pick and roll player in league history. So, whoever we talk about point at the point, imagine Carl Malone running a pick and roll with the point guard that we're going to have on this list. And I think you're just talking about an unstoppable offensive force with that as well. And I think we can segue straight into that. Is there anyone else to pick other than Magic Johnson at the point guard? Can no, we just move on from that? Yeah, can we just, yeah, yeah. Can just I mean, that's a big body, man. I know Isaiah Thomas is on the list. He's he's a favorite of mine. I love the tenacity love the defense but man you you can't you cannot pick anybody else besides magic and what we saw out of magic during the 92 olympics this is a magic jonathan that's more than a year removed from basketball with his hiv diagnosis who's still balling and running the show for the 92 olympic team nobody wanted to touch him bro that's not that's not that's not his fault yeah, there's a little bit of a misinformation campaign and fake news going on during the 80s and 90s. It's, it's, it's not limited they to They educated. It's not my fault. <laughs> but give me an 80s Magic Johnson running the break with Carl Malone. The wings that we're about to put on the bench of this team. I say bench because the wing that we're going to have in the starting lineup is not the most daunting fast break threat in uh, the – lawnmower Larry Bird but still you give me that guy in the 80s during his prime with the talent that we're going to surround him with I I don't think the world stands a chance so speaking of that I think since we all are in agreement with magic who we got at the two is there is there any question about that as well no Michael Jordan at the two spot it doesn't even come close you rookie Michael Jordan averaging 40 a game versus the prime dynasty Celtics in the playoffs. I'm not taking anybody else. Like a 48-inch vertical, giving Vince Carter a good run for his money. They really downplayed him, man, in the last dance. They did. He is unbelievable. And there's no question about it, man. He is on the list. Second greatest player in NBA history has to find a way in your starting lineup for this team. 
Second greatest. Okay, That's okay. We'll, 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 leave, we'll leave that for another That's time. Another time. Okay, dang. So I think the next, the, the final question. Brian Scalabrini, number one, obviously. Fair enough, fair now. enough. Okay. Uh, who do we have at three, fellas? Is it Larry Legend? It's got to be. It's got to be. You've got so many other dominant threes here. You've got Dr. J. That's what yes. I was looking at. You got Dominique Wilkins, who we're in an age of everyone tearing their Achilles. Dominique <laughs> is one of the early reminders of someone who tore his Achilles and came back and averaged 28 a game and was dominant during a time where we played basketball in chucks on the NBA court. However, you've got rim runners. You've got athletes in your starting lineup. We got to have some. And I know this is the 80s and 90s, but we have to have someone who can spread the court for us. Give me Larry Bird in that starting lineup. Tell him not to drink beer over the summer and to actually mow his lawn. What so was can it? That Bud up. Light, man. I remember the oh Team USA God. documentary. Hey, I remember that. Hey, the driveways of Indianapolis are not safe if this guy's shooting around on his court. So get him motivated. And I think you've got a guy who can compliment your other stars, who's one of the higher IQ basketball players on a team filled with high IQ basketball savants. Larry Bird's my three. I think I can just imagine Larry Legend shocking a beer on the freaking court whenever he scores, he scores a three every time. So I mean, a man went out there and played a whole game with his left hand. So, you know, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to. Played a whole three-point shootout with his jacket on and won. So, are we talking about uh, the same Larry? So are we expecting Larry Legend to actually have a back in, in, in this thing? Yes. No? Okay, this, is, cool. this is not 1992 Larry Legend that was paraded out there okay, cool. uh, as a ceremony traff at <laughs> basically a ceremony statue for team usa this is 80s maybe 1986 prime larry that was a finals mvp and a regular season mvp okay. we didn't see the true larry legend during team usa's run that's fair okay so i guess guys we have our starting five at the point we got magic johnson at the two we got mj at the three we got larry legend at the four i think we got carl malone and at the five we got moses Mal- oh, not moses kareem abdul jabbar so with that starting five, I think that can go against any. any Honestly, we'd love team. to hear your five, man. Let it, let us hear it. Let's but see if, if we, we can have go. that. Let's. So one more thing. So you know, the team isn't just with the starting five, right? Are we gonna have ten players, twelve players? Let's ten? go ten. Let's give five off the bench five, and keep it a little tight. We won't do a. Uh, we won't do a Mike D'Antoni seven man playoff lineup <laughs> where everyone's running forty minutes a game and PJ <laughs> Tucker's trying to intake thousands of calories to keep himself in shape. But we'll go with a little casual ten man lineup that maybe Stan Van Gundy can roll out. So let's go with the backups. Backup center. I mean. Second best center of the eighties, seventies, eighties. Give me Moses Malone there. I'll take that. I think uh, I don't think there's any other valid argument I could take other than Moses Malone, former league MVP, probably one of the most underrated. The mailman. Uh, you think Carmel, my friend? Oh, yes, I said Moses. Malone. Moses, we're talking oh, about we're talking oh. about Mr. Old Testament Moses Malone. Y'all himself, right? Y'all right? right. So Moses Malone, probably one of the most underrated MVPs of all time. Probably one of the most underrated players of all time. And if we had YouTube back then, I don't think that would be the case. With the seventh man, I think, Vol, I think we brought this man up before, uh, Charles Barkley. Yeah, backup power forward. Give me Sir Charles. Give me a guy who's, he's going to be able to switch for you. He's going to be able to hit a mid-range shot as your power forward. He will out-rebound every international player in the world, given that the dude was 6'5", pulling down 15, 16 rebounds a game. Sir Charles is my four. I'm not taking anybody else over him. Uh, again, you could make the argument that you maybe want Dominique at your four to be a stretch guy who just slams on guys, but you have enough of that on the team and MJ and the other guy and the other swings you'll have going forward. Give me a guy who can rebound, who can bring me versatility, and who can provide me the dirty things that really the international guys are going to be bringing that you're not ready for. 
Chief, would you agree with that, or is there somebody else you like to? Honestly, I, I like that man. I love the tough and grit that Sir Charles brings to the table, and that's what we're gonna need, man, coming off the bench. I, lo- I like that. I like that pick. Can't and complain. before everyone gets carried away and starts screaming, oh, uh, what about uh, the centers of the '90s? Where's uh, Where's David Robinson? Where's Alonzo Mourning? This is an '80s, early '90s team. So this is something that we can go back, given we were talking about the amateurs, that we can pull from the professional ranks when they weren't able to play in international basketball. Not to digress, I think, so we got the five, we got the four. I think this is where we might have a little bit of disagreement. Who do we see as the backup three? Oh, there's some great choices. You got the Iceman. That's exactly who I was leading towards, Dr. J, Dominique Wilkins. You have legends at the three spot. Clyde the Glide. Clyde the Glide is back there. You could throw two, three for Clyde the Glide. We could maybe fit him in there still. Man, see, for me, the number three, if we're going from somebody that we want to stretch the court and to stretch everything, I mean, I don't think there's a better a better player that can get hot at any time other than the Iceman. I mean, George Gervin was probably somebody that could just is pretty much the 80s version of Kevin Durant. You know, somebody that you just give him the ball and he can drop 40, 50 any night from out from in from any place, uh, whether it is mid range, you know, whether it's on, like, right next to the rim, whether it's three point. This man was just a scoring savant. So, you know, just a legend in itself in scoring. So I think if you want somebody that you can give the ball to on the second team to just go out there and score 50, that's your man. So for me, it's the ice man. He didn't average under 26 a game during the entire 1980s. Two-time scoring champion, patented finger roll. Sure, defensive intensity was never his strong suit, but you have some of the greatest defensive players in the history of basketball on this team. The Iceman's an interesting choice. I'm That's hard, it. I'm I was not pick. expecting that, man. I was not expecting that pick. I'm hard-pressed to disagree with you. I like that. But I am going to disagree with you. <laughs> so. Who you got? I got to take, man, the doctor himself. Give me some surgical work. Mr. J. Give me Dr. J running the fast break with Magic Johnson just to fulfill that fantasy of mine from an early age. I mean, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, man. I, I had Dr. J on my list. I'm going to have to go with that one, too, man. I love the the big, talls, the stretch that we can play. I love that. We're going with this, man. We, we just left out James Worthy. We did. My God, we just left out James Worthy. We left out so many good players out of this. And I think that just, I think that just goes into It's just something that we got to do, man. They didn't wow. make the cut. I do apologize. but Whoever thought there'd be, a, there'd be a team where James Worthy didn't make the cut. My God. Make your team, put them on your team, and let's play five on five, man. Let's do it. We can pull up on 2K. So we got so we got the backup five. We got the backup four. We got the backup three. Who do we have as a backup two? Ooh. See, I, I, I think that this goes back into... I think we go back to good old University of Houston, baby. I think U of H needs a good shout-out with this one. Portland Trailblazers legend... Houston Rockets legend himself, Clyde the Glide Drexler would be my number two pick. Offensive savant, defensive maestro, ISO god. I, I think just second to Michael Jordan, probably the best uh, shooting guard of his era. No, man, you're spot on about that. He is on my list. Uh, he was a toss-up to make a starter for me, man. There was a lot of tough decisions that need to be made. But if we got to put him on the list, man, he is definitely on my list. Yeah, I mean, Clyde the Glide, really, 
during MJ's entire tenure as the second greatest player in NBA history and the greatest player of the 80s and 90s. Was there ever another shooting guard that came close to competing with him? Maybe on certain stages, a lot of people considered Reggie Miller. But looking back in hindsight, there was no other two guard that was able to carry the weight of a franchise much the way that Clyde was. And, you know, maybe we'll throw a little future what if segment on if the Portland Trailblazers actually traded Clyde the Glide Drexler and their draft pick to the Houston Rockets for the other big man in the Twin Towers series of Hakeem Hakeem Olajuwon. And that's right, Ralph Sampson. So, yeah, Clyde is up there for me. Who knows what the career may have been like if the, there was a trio of Clyde, MJ, and Hakeem lurking in the shadows of the 80s and 90s. I think I'd, I think I'd read the other team would piss their pants, but I mean. So we are on the last, last guy on our roster. Point guard. Point guard. Following man. up, Mr. Magic Johnson. Who do you guys have? Man, we have some can we, options. Can we put him on the team? Are we allowed to? Will MJ allow us? I think he doesn't have a choice for this one. He can't even lie either. So I'm going to have to go with him, man. We're going to have to go with him. All right. Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah. I love him. I love the game he has. He is a little asshole, but I mean, you got to be in this league. That's how you do it. And you need that on your team. You're going up against international players who are typically regarded as dirtier, more scroungy type players. Give me a guy who averaged 20 points, 10 assists, and two steals a game for an entire decade that branded a team as the bad boys. A man that made Michael Jordan's life hell. That actually put him in the gym to add weight. That guy. Give me him. So I would I would actually challenge you guys and actually question that based on how the team is set up, if you want a backup point guard, would it be better for the overall system to have somebody who is more defensive grinded oriented as Isaiah Thomas? Or do we want somebody like a pure point guard? Some maybe well, like Sean Stockton? Sean St- I feel like we have enough people that can control the ball, that can make things happen, that we don't need another ball handler that can so, actually do a facilitating role. I think having an Isaiah Thomas that can get up in your face, some Pat Beverly type of shit, I think that is fantastic, and we need that. So how would you, if you're, if you're, if you're coaching this team, right, I, I think it's fairly simple on how we coach the first, uh, the first team. It's more of the ball goes through magic. You have a lot of, you have wing talent in Michael Jordan and Larry Legend, and then you have, you know, just, uh, you have your other offensive option, just running a pick and roll with Carl or just giving it in the paint to Kareem and letting him do his thing. How are you running the offense for the second team, right? I think you stagger the minutes. I think you get minutes where Kareem is still in the game and he's the center point of the offense. You have moments where Larry Bird was a point forward for most of his career. He can run a little high post action. Uh, God forbid Kevin McHale is player coach during this scenario. (laughs) Uh, As we mentioned before, that team's not going to go very far if that's the case. Uh, So I think you can get away with having a defensive minded point guard. While you still have playmakers on the bench and starting units, that's minutes they can stagger. But yeah, if you are going for a pure point guard, where else would you look other than John Stockton? You've got the NBA's all-time leading assist guy. You've got familiar faces in Carl Malone that he can run a little pick-and-roll action with. And you have plenty other options that he can spread the ball out to. Uh, The question is... Do you want to have an offense that's run through a pure point guard or do you want to spread things out? Maybe feed a little inside ball, maybe play a little point forward. Uh, either way, you don't have bad options there. You've got a pretty we good have looking enough, team. 
weapons in our arsenal to actually do whatever we want to do. Well, the main thing I would talk about with this is just the fact of three-point range, right? I think European players especially it would be something where you know, European players were always focusing on the three-point shot. And I think that's one deficiency you had in the 80s and 90s was that that just wasn't that much of a focal point. John Stockton averaged 40% from shooting the three his whole career. There was never a point in his time where he was considered a bad three-point shooter. Counteract that with Isaiah Thomas, where I think the best year that he had, he shot Well, see, the thing is, with that team, we don't need them to score. That's... I think secondhand for them. I need them to go ahead and do the role play that they're in. Now, let's say we did have John Sark. I don't need him to score. Go ahead and open up places for other people to Absolutely. score because you have these weapons in place. I don't need Isaiah Thomas to score because there's all these other people going to do that. Go do what you're best at. Go get in somebody's face. Go ahead and rip the ball off of his hands. Go do all your things that you're good at. And to expand on that point... <laughs> It was on the J.J. Reddick podcast one time that I remember him saying. You were on a J.J. Reddick podcast. Shout out to The Ringer, one of the better uh, podcast groups. I know a lot of you guys don't agree with Bill Simmons for how he trashes the Rockets and Houston sports in general, but they've got a few good pieces. They have a good point. Uh, can we just circle back to that previous argument of a Duke legend, J.J. Reddick? Okay. okay. Duke legend, okay. J.J. Reddick, um, one of the greatest NBA white guy sleeves in the history of basketball they really don't do them too well and you you really wish uh, red mamba uh brian scalabrini would have gotten something or even the red rocket would have gotten something on him to accentuate his features um but you got to think about the uh, 80s and one of the things jj reddick mentioned on his podcast one time is you have certain nba players today who make more three-point shots than most 80s nba teams would attempt for their entire season. So if we do get hung up a lot on this idea of having shooters and spraying the court, it really wasn't something that was of the highest importance during the 80s and 90s. And a big part of that comes down to the way that they played defense. They weren't allowed help defense. They weren't allowed to play a zone defense. And they weren't allowed to double team the way today's NBA players are, which makes the emphasis on a three-point shot so much heavier. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, but if we're playing by today's rules, then absolutely John Stockton makes sense. And he's, if not the best, one of the best options to bring in that second group to kind of complement the pieces you have. But I will say that I would love Stockton. And like again, I think it's a toss-up between Stockton and Thomas. And I think the main thing we look at is Stockton wasn't a slouch on defense. Either. Oh, no. And I, and I think that's one of the main things we saw is that Stockton was one of those guys that kind of reminded me of a kind of a gnat, right? He won't he won't be aggressive, but he's never not going to be there. He's always, I think we attribute this back to basketball IQ, right? But one of the highest IQs of all time in John Stockton. Well, timeout, timeout. If we're going to talk about defense and John Stockton, we're all in agreement here. John Stockton is the all-time NBA steals leader in the history of basketball by a wide margin too. Mm -hmm. So he's no slouch on defense. We can't get that mixed up. Oh, absolutely. And I think the main difference that we're talking about is I think opportunistic defense when trying to get steals or on ball defense when we're talking about Isaiah Thomas. And I think in this system, when you have so many passes being outletted, I think somebody with hands as fidgety as John Stockton, as opportunistic as John Stockton could just be so ideal for this whole team USA system. And, I feel uh, like we're just trying to kick Isaiah Thomas off yeah, this bro, team, man. I mean, you sounding like a real Michael Jordan right now is bro, what I'm hearing. You know, I, I this try this podcast was sponsored by Michael Jordan. Shout out MJ. We see you, bro. Uh, Bobcast still suck. But I mean, <laughs> look, I, 
Isaiah, I'm sorry, bro. You know, I, I think you're just going to stay a bad boy piston for life because you're just, in my opinion, you're man, I still need to team. watch that documentary, man. I still need to watch the bad boys. No, nah, man. Awesome team. Just what can I say? You, you decided to pick a fight with a goat and you lost. So, I mean, they did beat them, but they did they also did. lose. I give you that. I give you that. They but did. I mean, come on. You need that mean grit. So of course, you got it with Sir Charles, but man, that bad boy piston, like everybody hated him. So I also am kind of fearful that if Isaiah Thomas ends up playing in this game, that uh, we're one probably of his gonna own have, teammates are going to hit him. Bro, legit. I, I think <laughs> I, I think we're going to go full WWE on this shit. Or more importantly, I, I think the amount of technical fouls that I think Isaiah can incite along with uh, Charles Barkley would probably be more than we could have. I think that would be the most interesting team to watch. Oh yeah, if I'm talking with Isaiah reasons. Thomas instead of a John Stockton, I think yeah. that would be way more interesting. Yeah, yeah, John Stockton's sneaky athleticism, which is code for white guy, uh, <laughs> definitely brings a different perspective than Isaiah Thomas's bar brashing type of mentality. So it, I think it would be more fun to have Isaiah on the team just to see a couple brawls break out on the bench between him <laughs> and MJ as well. Um, but maybe from a fit sense, if we're playing by today's rules, I think John Stockton definitely does make more sense. You've talked me into it, Nabil. I'm putting John Stockton on my team. I'm keeping Isaiah Thomas, man. I love a fight. Dope. So I, I mean, got to. I think so. I think we have uh, 95% of our uh, total team in, in agreement. So... Uh, I think we can all finally agree with the point that this 1980s squad would decimate. Still definitely win a gold. Would just decimate whatever amateur 1980s squad that we had originally put into history. But I mean, and I don't know, man, but I think the more that we look at it, the more that we see that these are all NBA players. And if they are NBA players, you know, one thing I did notice was you know, the players association that we had with the eighties and what these players were able to make in the eighties compared to the nineties, I, I think it doubled and tripled their salaries going forward. So this was my attempt at a smooth transition into the next topic. But our next topic that we wanted to talk about was the NBA PA and the players associations that we ended up having. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I consider the NBA Players Association probably the most successful players association amongst the biggest leagues, the MLB, the, uh, the NBA, and the NFL. And, you know, I think we look at it, what can we say, and I want, I want y'all's opinion on this, but what can we say makes the NBA PA the most successful players association in the league? I think there's one thing that takes rank over everything else. And that's really the willingness of the league, of the NBA, to empower their players. And in that way, allowing an avenue for the NBA, the NBA Players Association to have so much sway and influence in what the players get. You're looking at guaranteed contracts from these players. You're looking at players that are probably more accessible to fans than any other sport. Any other sport, any right. Other sport right? And, and I get it. A big part of that is the fact that they don't wear helmets. Their faces are constantly on the screen. There's only five players for a team on the court at one time, and any of them can have the ball at any moment. Um, but really, during this quarantine that we've had, you guys, really, we've heard more from basketball players regarding social justice issues, regarding the return of their sports, regarding their own personal lives than we have from any other sport, period, especially uh, with regards to what we've seen uh, in social activist movements over the last month or two. So I think it's number one, we can branch off into various different reasons here, but I think number one, it's the willingness of the NBA and, and Adam Silver, who I think has done a great job in empowering these players to say what they want, when they want, uh, if their message is unified and together, which it has been 
uh, in various different moments with regards to social activism and with regards to getting their brand out, with regards to having power on social media, to be to being seen, to being faces of the league. Think about any NBA game you guys go to. You see one legend on there. How many ESPN, TNT games have we seen of the Rockets where the camera will pan out to commemorate Hakeem Olajuwon? That's true. Right? And you so see you all s- these big names coming out there, man. All these reunion games, they will miss zero opportunities to tout their players out. Every NBA championship, who's the legend that goes out there to present the trophy Bill with Russell. them? Bill Russell every single time. They name awards after NBA players. These old legends are at games, at milestones. Kobe tweeted out LeBron when LeBron passed him on this list. So I think the number one thing is a culture within the NBA that allows these players to be celebrated and empowers them to speak out on what they want to speak out to in a unified way. That's the number one thing. But again, we can branch out in a million different directions, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. No, man, you're you're honestly right. Like If you think about it, to be able to put yourself out there, I think – in the NBA, you have way more opportunity and way more things that you can potentially do. Like you said, there's five people on a team that are out there at a time. Now, consider the NFL. I mean, you have multiple people. You're covered up head to toe from whatever you're going on. So even if you're going on the street, most of the people don't even know who you are unless you're actually getting out there and being social like these people in the NBA are. You're absolutely right. Unless they're actually going out there and being open, they're not going to go ahead and get the same treatment and the same things that these NBA associations are doing to these other associates. You really have to be open. You got to go out there and do what you want to do. They get fined for wearing different cleats or wearing a sleeve that has something on there. That All that stuff, I mean, I feel like that doesn't really change anything man that just oppresses nfl players i'm not gonna want to go ahead and wear different shoes if i'm gonna have to be fine for it that's just holding me back i don't see the nba doing something like that to hold what these people are trying to do of course jr smith got fined for the supreme thing the headbands are taken off these small things yes but i mean cleats getting fined for cleats getting fined for some gloves these small little little things visors all these things i don't understand like what what is going on no, I would agree. And, you know, to piggyback off that as well, I, I think one of the other reasons that we have the NBA PA be so much more successful than the NFL PA and these other players associations is look who's heading these players associations. The current president of the NBA PA is CP3. Point God. There. Point God. Point God. Uh, one hamstring away from a championship in Houston. Yeah. Um, Weak hamstring. Uh, and yes. <laughs> he's been the president for six years, you know, prior. And then who've been past presidents? The big O, Oscar Robertson was the president of the Players Association for nine years. Who do we have? Another player, Patrick Ewing, president for four years. Who are the past VPs? Kyrie Irving is the current VP of the NBA Players Association. LeBron. See, these names, as you're saying, these guys are big exactly. in our community. Yeah. All these small changes and everything, everybody takes notice of what these people are doing. And that's the thing that's different from the NBA and the NFL. These yes. names, yes. that's no, what's holding them. I mean, dude, look, you still have LeBron, you still have Melo, Steph. These guys were past past uh, VPs of the NBA PA and everybody knows them and everybody knows the importance that these guys hold. Let's compare that to the NFL. J.C. Treader is one of the guys on there. Who the hell is J.C. Treader? You know what team he plays on, Vala? Uh, nope. He's apparently a center for the Browns. Center for the Browns is they picked up. <laughs> the of all the other people that could be picked up, they picked that guy. Compared the, to one of the three greatest point guards in the history of basketball. And mm-hmm. the biggest names that we have for the leadership team for the NFLPA, Calais Campbell, 
Richard Sherman, Malcolm Jenkins. These are the biggest names, Big names. that we have. And these guys aren't, I would say, like if you're an NFL fan, obviously these guys are household names, but how many players outside of watching, or how many people outside of watching the NFL would recognize these names? None. It's not, you don't see Tom If anything, Brady. bro, Richard Sherman would probably Maybe. the only one that if you go out and ask people, they would know. Yeah, yeah, as far as everybody it. else goes, right. they aren't making a huge stamp on the NFL to have this be relevant. Right. It's a group of thousandaires versus billionaires as opposed to the NBA, which is a group of multimillionaires versus billionaires. The salaries in the NFL are so top heavy and they're so spread out with the average career length of three and a half years relative to the NBA's 10 plus, I mean, 15, 20 plus these days from what we're seeing that the representation is not quite there. These NFL players can't stand to lose checks. These NFL players don't have the same leverage as NBA players do. And I think one of the bigger reasons that isn't talked about enough is there aren't alternatives. They don't have leverage. If an NBA player isn't getting what he wants in the NBA, he can go to several leagues in Europe. He can go to China. He can go to Italy. He can go to Russia. He can go to these different leagues that actually do compensate their players quite well. And the same with hockey. Hockey has some pretty decent alternatives. Alternatives, and I know the NHL's PA is one of the more highly touted across sports. What does the NFL player do if he can't get the, the contract that he wants? He can hold out. Hold out. And that's it. That's it. And you're losing money nine times out of ten when you hold out. Now, I will say this. I think that there is one thing the NFL PA should do that I feel that the NBA PA and the MLB PA are not afraid to do, and that is go for a lockout. And I think that if you can, if you can collectively come as a group, and I think this is where leadership comes in. And I think this is when you need to have big name, like your Tom Brady's, your Aaron Rodgers, your Patrick Mahomes, those type of players come in and say, Hey, we are collectively doing a lockout until we get what we deserve, which is guaranteed contracts, you know, long-term contracts, contracts that are favorable and revenue sharing that we have in the NBA and the MLB. I mean, guys, the the, the NFL out earns the NBA and the MLB almost twofold yet salaries are a joke compared to it so if i am the nflpa that is one lever i am willing to pull and so what you know what you lose a year of playing guess what that's one year as an nfl player that you're not getting hit every freaking week that's That's one year that you can just focus on conditioning and focus on being bigger and being healthier too that's a big hit as a team owner too if your main main guy doesn't want to play He's, he's for the lockout you were taking a huge hit. I agree. So that's what I'm saying. I think that's what they, they should do is just go for a full lockout until what you until you get what you deserve. I think one thing that the NBA and the MLB players uh, duly recognize better than NFL players is that they are the revenue generators for their for their uh, for their whole league. And I I think that you need to realize if you're an NFL player is that. You are the revenue generator. People aren't coming to see the owners. People aren't coming to see stadiums. People are coming to see you. And when you realize your true self-worth. I mean, self-worth, that, that Dallas stadium looks kind of nice. I'm oh, going for the stadium. That team isn't so good. It is. But, bro, look, at the end of the day, I mean, if you throw me like a freaking, if you throw me a Division three quarterback running this, uh, then Dak Prescott, I'm probably not as enticed to watching Dallas Cowboys game. But, I mean, yeah. they got a good backup now, better that than their starter. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the, the cowgirls were trash. But I mean, that, that's the point in itself. But I mean, if I am the if I am the NFLPA, I am looking at ways and how I can leverage so many different avenues to tell these owners to pay me properly, and I think that we can get closer to there. Hopefully, 
uh, with what we've seen with movements in the NBA, movements in the MLB and lockouts. I mean, hell, look at the MLB right now. The MLB literally went into a lockout for so long because MLB players weren't going to get the contracts that they deserve, the guaranteed contracts that they signed. The MLB was the MLBPA was pretty much saying like, yeah, that's fine. We don't we really don't need you. Obviously, they came to a consensus and this happened, but I feel like there's no leverage on the NFLPA. I think the NFLPA is at the mercy of their owners, and that needs to change. And I think they, they just need to realize that. that they actually hold the NFL in their hands. You're right, man. People are coming to watch them play, to watch a big hit happen, to watch a touchdown go down. Now, if you're holding that out, these team owners, they, they're going to have to come to a consensus. It's tough, though. It, you know, that MLB, you're absolutely right. I mean, they had to leverage. Look at what they did in the 94-95 season. They held a strike. They canceled the, the entire postseason, and they effectively canceled a World Series during that strike. These NFL players, though, with their careers being so short and so many players really only having a year or two's opportunity to make any kind of money with the large sizes of these rosters – the leverage isn't there, and so it dissuades so many guys from participating in these strikes and getting on board. And really, I mean, the disparity really comes down to first and second round draft picks. If you're a first and second round draft pick, more often than not, you're going to be an impact player. And if you're anything past that, more often than not, you're going to be a bubble guy on a roster. You're going to be playing special teams. You're going to be a backup. You're going to be a guy who maybe lucks his way into a role and sticks around for a few years. But more times than not, you're on an NFL team for a few years. So the leverage isn't there. And that's why they don't have a unified front mm-hmm. like the NBA. Someone else will come in next year to take your spot, man. It's exactly. just, it's just mean, how it is. You can see that about competition for every other sport too, though, right? Like let's say in the NBA, for example, is like you you lose your ground. There's a guy in the G League. There's a guy overseas who's ready, who's there to take your spot. There's a guy up and coming in the NCAA who's going to be a first round pick looking to take your spot. The spots are very few and far well, between. See, it's just a matter of who is going to go ahead and take a seat that's not going to want to play right. now if you got a guy like lebron james that's like okay i'm not going to be playing unless you guys are going to do this for us they're right. going to sit down and listen because you make an impact on this league a guy like tom brady or a guy like larry Fitzgerald, people that are highly decorated players in the nfl if they make a move and they go ahead and have other people follow them things are going to go to change that is going to for sure happen. Now, it's just a matter of who wants to take the step and do it. That's literally it. And I think that it, there's a lot of NFL players that will be willing to, take that, oh, to yeah. take that step. And I think that first and foremost, I think this change comes to the salary cap. I think that having a hard salary cap and pretty much pushing players to have their limit set because of an arbitrary salary cap is absurd. And I think that everybody needs to follow the MLB or the NBA and having either a soft salary cap or a no salary cap so players can maximize their salaries no matter what. Secondly, I think, like I said, the NFLPA should not be afraid of a lockout Mm -hmm. at all. You guys are the revenue generators. You guys are what is putting this money in the end you're the, the reason end. i'm coming to watch man yeah, i'm you're, being real yeah you're putting the money in the nfl owners pockets man like don't be afraid to do it and i think if you do these two things and i i think that could be phenomenal and if i'm the nflpa i'm focusing on one more thing which is health insurance for life and i think if you can push these three things into the 4a and guarantee them i think this can be a lot ben- a lot more beneficial for the nfl player and for the overall health of the nfl and i don't know about y'all man but I think we, we we spent a lot of time on this first podcast, and I think we went a little over, but uh, you know, I hope all you guys have you enjoyed it. All good. It, it was man. packed with a lot of information, man. We had a good couple of topics here. 
We do it for the peasants, for the plebeians, the common folk out there. If y'all want to hear anything else or us expand on any of these for its own podcast, let us know. Reach out to us or hit us on the Twitter at the Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. We'll get back to you. We'll try to throw a little extra in, but be looking out for us in our next podcast. Well, this was fun. This Dude, was episode one is fun. in the book, guys. Episode one is complete. Okay. Thank you. Come again. 